You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Week and the girls were right at or over 100 last week. Um, and so we'll see what it is this week. Every bit of that. Somebody says, well, this is church and you're talking about money. We're talking about money that's going to help some folks. Amen. Every penny of it is going to help uh, again with unexpected pregnancies as well well as their children uh, in a physical sense but also her health uh, is ran by some just uh, lovely ladies that uh, share Christ and the truth of the Word of God with those as well and not, not only the moms but also the dads Nicole is involved in a lot of the uh, uh, parenting classes and things of that nature Today we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. It is so good to have each of you, so good to have our guests and our different visitors here today. Uh, in Nehemiah chapter number six, we have been looking at some interesting passages and, you know, studying what's going on in the book of Nehemiah, but also how it applies to our lives today. And I'm glad God's word does apply to our lives today. I appreciate the song the lady sang. Uh, leaning on his everlasting arm, the strength of his arm. You know, sometimes we try to be strong when we don't really need to be strong. Because we've got a strong God that cares us and loves, loves us. And we can just lean on Him and rest in Him. Uh, we don't have to be strong all the time. But in the book of Nehemiah, we learn about how that God is trying to do a work in these people's lives. As I've said repeatedly, God has a plan and purpose for each of our lives uh, that He has spelled out in His Word. And along the way, we've seen a people in, in the book of Nehemiah who have laid hold on that purpose, but... They've done so with a lot of opposition. Because how many of you know that it's not easy always to live a life that glorifies God and, uh, and, and you know, to be that which God would have you to be? So we see yet another attack today and how we can respond to it. Look at Nehemiah 6, verses 15 through 19. Man, verse 15 is, man, that's celebration time. It says, So the wall was finished in the 25th day of the month, Elo in 50 and 2 days. So we just got to stop right there and say, man, that's awesome. 52 days ago was when Nehemiah began and with the people of God began to build this wall. They did it. <clears throat> they did it. Uh, they have built a life for themselves. They've accomplished the, this great work of God. But you know, sometimes even after we, uh, we can win the war and still lose a battle or still lose the victory. And that's kind of what we see happening here. What should have been a time of great, uh, uh, an occasion of great celebration ends up being a time of, of alarm, and we see why, beginning in verse 15. The Bible says, So the wall was finished in the 15th and the 20th and, uh, and 5th day of the month, in 52 days, verse 16, And it came to pass, when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were round about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. You know, the Bible says this. Jesus described His purpose, and it really describes the purpose in many ways, I believe, of what we're trying to do here at Elk Point Baptist Church. Jesus said that the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus wants you to have life eternal. He wants you to know what it is to know Him as Savior. And then on top of that, He wants you to know what it is to live with the priceless gifts of joy and peace and 
security, uh, forgiveness of guilt, all these things as we have a right standing before God. And so the point is, is there's an enemy that wants to, to rob you and there's a God that wants to bless you. And notice what it goes on to say here. Verse 17, Moreover in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. So there was a correspondence between Tobiah. He's been one of the guys the whole time that's been trying to stop the work that God and his people are doing. But now it tells us that there's people that are in the city that have been writing back and forth to him. And in verse number 18, the Bible says, For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Jonah had taken the daughter of Meshulam and the son of Bechariah. Also they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words unto him. And Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. So there's an incredible thing that's happening here, and that is people that have been set apart by God, people that in some ways have embraced the role that God has given them, in some ways are actually kind of working against their own country. They're working against their own people, and even greater, they're working against themselves. See, the Bible says that it was the, the nobles from the tribe of Judah. Now, these people are from the tribe of Judah, which means that they have a, a, a very big part in the city of, that they're rebuilding. Folks, this is the, the, the city of David. Judah was the kingly line. And so it was through the line of Judah that God promised a savior and a king would come. And so when these nobles were co cooperating with Tobiah, they were resisting the Lord, disobeying the word, and then also jeopardizing their own future. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? So here they are, God looks it down on these people, and he says, man, you're not living the life that I put you on this earth to live, so I'm going to send somebody your way to give you the good news so that you can begin to be and live like the promised people and the people of purpose like I've called you to be. And again, we've all been called and all been put on this earth for a purpose. So they start following in that and they start building the city and the whole while the, the same people that God's trying to bless is cooperating with the people that are trying to bring them down. So these people on one hand are laying bricks then on the other hand, they're sharing letters and correspondence with the guy that's on the outside of the wall that's trying to take down the wall. It doesn't make any sense. Why would they do this? Because here's the sad thing about it. Again, I'll say it. They were jeopardizing their own future. God had already shown them what he was trying to do and what he was giving them a taste of what he wanted to do in their lives. Not in their lives, but in the lives of their children in the lives of the grandchildren. It was in all of this that the Lord was working. But they were working against their own future, against God's glorious plan. So that leads to my topic for today. And the topic of today is a saint in Satan's service. A saint in Satan's service. Now, what led to saints being in Satan's service? 
Number one, deception. Deception. As we've already read, Tobiah wrote them letters. In other words, this is really important because this is what I'm trying to emphasize today. He influenced their thinking. He influenced their thinking. So he would write these letters, this nice guy that's trying to destroy them and destroy their future and their city, but he's got some contacts on the inside, and they, he would write the letters, they would read the letters. Not only did they read the letters of this guy, they would go share the letters with other people. So the enemy was trying to influence, the enemy was influencing their thinking. They, in turn, were going around spreading it with other people. And they were even sharing it with Nehemiah. And so, instead of seeking the truth, these nobles believed the lies of the enemy and perhaps unwittingly became traitors to their own people because they believed that Tobiah was right. And again, they even had a, act, they even had a loyalty to, to him. All right, so there's deception. How, can, how would these people who God is trying to invest in and work in and give them a future, how would they be jeopardizing their own future working against themselves? How could a saint, as it were, become, uh, be, be in Satan's service? Number one, deception. Number two, affection. Affection. Deception and affection. Wrong thinking led them to wrong feeling. All right? They were thinking wrong, so they started feeling wrong. And so their affections were now wrong. We read in our text that one of the reasons they were so close to Tobiah was that they had married into each other's families. They were kin now. Now, I understand the connection of blood, but the illustration is they put the connection with family over that with God. Above that which above that with God. In other words, they were willing to go against God because of their family, when their family was actively trying to mess them up, okay? But the point is, it's because of affection. So how did these people become saints, as it were, in Satan's service? Number one, deception, wrong thinking, wrong thinking. Then so deception uh, affected their affection, Because wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling. And then wrong feeling, and so it went from deception to affection to action. Because wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling, which means to wrong doing. You think, because what you think, right or wrong, what you think affects how you feel. How you feel affects what you do. So the enemy, the way he got these people to betray basically not only the people around them, but to betray themselves, was through wrong thinking, wrong feeling that led to wrongdoing. In verse 16, we read that they swore to, the, their action was to swear a loyalty to this man. God's chosen people of promise working in concert with the enemy. Now the question is, Could something like that happen today? In other words, is it possible for someone today to work against their own future that God has planned for them? Is it possible 
to basically be aiding and abetting the very person who's trying to destroy your life. Is that possible? Well, we see, even in the New Testament, there's a great example. The great apostle Peter found himself in an interesting scenario. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, the Bible says, From that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes. And listen to this. Jesus was showing his disciples that he must be killed and be raised again the third day. That's the truth. But see, Peter was thinking, I don't like that. His thinking. Lord, I don't, you ain't going to go die. You're supposed to be setting up a throne here. So he wasn't thinking right. So he wasn't feeling right. So that moved him to speak up and say something with his actions. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. All right? But Jesus turned, and listen to what Jesus said to Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. What's an offense? We think of offense. The, the picture of an offense is something that causes you to stumble. It makes you fall. It makes you trip. You're trying to go in a certain direction, but you keep stumbling and falling all over yourself, and you can't get to where you're trying to go to. So, so, so Jesus is saying, Peter, you're being an offense to me. You're causing me to stumble here. Why? For thou savorest. Thou savorest. That word speaks of perception. In other words, you think of savor. You think of smelling something. And you perceive that that smells good or maybe it doesn't smell so good. You taste something and you perceive uh, the, the, the taste or the flavor. He said that thou savorest. Not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. The interesting thing is, is that just in this same conversation, Jesus asked uh, Peter, who do men say that? He asked the disciples, Peter spoke up when he said, who do men say that I am? Peter says, Peter was always willing to speak up. Any of you like that, willing to open up your mouth, uh, good or bad? Uh, I can be like that, believe it or not. Uh, Ready to open up my mouth. I've got to put my two cents in. And, uh, but, uh, but Peter opens up his mouth and he says something good. He says, Lord, he says, you're the Christ, the Son of God. People are saying, and, and Peter looked right at Jesus, or Jesus looked Peter right in the eyeballs and said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, you are speaking the very words of God right now, Peter. And just a few moments later in the same conversation, Jesus looks at the same man and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. In other words, and one moment, Peter was laying the bricks and the foundation of this life that God was working in him. But then in just a moment, here was Peter working against and counter to that which God was trying to do in, not only in his life, but for the world in this instance. Once again... Wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling, and wrong feeling leads to wrongdoing. So Peter became a saint in Satan's service, if for only this moment. Um, so, you know, being a saint in Satan's service, that sounds pretty dramatic, doesn't it? 
You know, if you were to look at me and say, Pastor, I, I got to tell you, the way I see you acting and behaving, some of the things I've seen you do, I believe that you're a saint in Satan's service today. And, and, and you, you may say, well, that sounds awfully dramatic. But what I mean to tell you today is that it's not near as dramatic because as is often the case with Satan, it's very subtle. Very subtle. Very uh, easy to get in. Uh, and, and so it comes in just like Tobias' letters. It influences what you think. Now, here we go. I'm going to say this till you get sick of it, but when you get sick of it, it's usually when you remember it, okay? What you think affects the way you feel. The way you feel affects what you do. So he subtly tries to th affect what you think. About what? He tries to affect what you think about yourself. How about that one? He tries to affect what you think about yourself. He tries to affect not only uh, what you may think about yourself, I think about other examples that we'll see in just a moment. Satan uh, thinks, tries to get you to think about what yourself. He tries to get you to think uh, a certain way about God. So you get this idea in your head about God. That starts affecting the way you feel about God. Some of you feel some kind of terrible about God. And you want to know something? I don't blame you. Because if my, my thinking and my experience says maybe we're kind of like what you've experienced and that had influenced my thinking, I might feel that way too. But then the way you feel then affects the way you, affects what you do, what you say, your actions in regard to God. So, you're thinking about yourself, you're thinking about God, you're thinking about others, you're thinking about the world, what you think about sin and righteousness. Satan's a tempter to sin, right? He wants you to sin. I, I've told you before, Satan, do, Satan doesn't show you the end, he doesn't show you the harsh end, he shows you the, the glorious beginning. He, he shows you those first few parties, man. He don't show you where they end up, right? See, he, 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 the best he can give you is what he gives up front because I'm telling you, what's on the back end isn't good. I heard this, and you've heard me say it before, many of you, but the, have you ever heard the statement, the devil doesn't have any happy old people? The devil doesn't have happy old people. Why? Because they have lived their lives in sin, and now they're just, just miserable reaping the results of that. However, God has happy old people. You know why? It just gets sweeter and sweeter. Amen? Ain't that right, somebody that's old? I don't, I can, don't ask me. I can't, uh, I can't say too much about that. Uh, I see Mr. Gibson here today. I don't know if he knows that I recognize him, but it, his, uh, his uh, pre precious mother, precious dad, uh, listen, uh, own up in years. And... Uh, and, uh, and I hadn't seen much from the family, but I'll tell you one thing, Jesus has got sweeter and sweeter. Why? Because it just gets better. But, that, see, but, sin, but it gets in your mind. And young people get it in their mind. Young, and it ain't just young people. I talk to the young people a lot, but it, it's all of us. But young people, if you let Satan get in your head the wrong way, you're going to be like a stupid dog that lives on a busy highway that's trying its best to get out there and chase a stinking garbage truck or something. 
and you think you've got the worst owner in the world because your, your owner is so mean they won't let you go out and chase the truck. Right? See, Satan tries to tell us that sin, it'd be fun to chase that truck. And what a sad owner. But what happens when that dog finally gets out of the house that that mean old owner has been trying to keep them back from? Well, they end up squashed, don't they? Um, and, uh, and so that, that's what Satan will try to do to you. He'll try to get in your mind and get in your thinking and say, man, that looks fun. Hey, it is fun for a little bit. Sometimes it's just fun till the next morning. Sometimes it may be fun for some years. But I'm telling you, it runs out. But, 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 but he affects your thinking, then it affects how you feel. And you get the idea when God, you, when you get the idea that God's trying to keep something good from you, when he's telling you uh, some of the thou shalt nots, you're thinking wrong. Because God's trying to keep you from getting run over by a dump truck. All right? He wants you to live long and uh, prosper, amen, I suppose. He wants you to be blessed. Um, but so, so uh, what do you think about the world? What do you think about sin and righteousness? Okay, a couple things about Satan. Satan is a liar. Jesus said in John 8, 44 that he's, the, he's a liar and he's the father of lies. The first time Satan appears in the Bible in Genesis 3, the first words on his lips are suspicious of truth. Suspicious of truth. All right? Hey, did, did God really say this? And the second words on his lips were subtle falsehood. You will not die. See, Satan likes to fight that which God has built. That which is important to God. That's important, okay? So what does God really care about in love? Number one, you. I referred to this earlier. He, he cares about you. And by the way, uh, just because I've got this out of order in my notes, I want to say before I forget, the decisions that you make affect people around you. Have any of you made bad... One of the ways that many of us can make bad decisions is when we tell ourselves that it don't affect anybody else. Right? You ever done that? It's not going to affect anybody else. Nobody's going to care. It's not going to affect my children. It's not going to affect my, my family. I can just make this decision willy-nilly. No. Tobiah was trying to affect the minds of these people to affect the way they felt because he knew that it would affect other people. So God cares about this. God's, his, God's arch enemy is Satan. See, the thing about you is you've been made in the image of God. You are the apple of God's eye. I know that, scripturally speaking, that's referred to the nation of Israel. We know that God loves you and I immensely. How much? Look at the cross, amen. Jesus said this much, right? Spread out his hands and he died. That's how much. Some of you question that because your thinking's been wrong. But I'm telling you the truth is, that's what he does. So but how many of you think about, how many of you think wrong about yourselves? Anybody ever think wrong about yourself? See, we fall into a little trap because the same people, we can either feel lowly of ourselves, you can feel like you're a waste of time and space and energy and everything else, worthless. Can I tell you something? Based on the Word of God, that's a lie. 
But then on the other hand, you can begin to think of yourself that you are all that and a bag of chips. And that you get to do what you can do and the world revolves around you. And by the way, that can be the same person sometimes. Um, uh, but, but neither is true. Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think. By the way, this is interesting. When the Bible says, when, when Jesus said to Peter, thou savorest, it's the same words in this verse for to think to think he said for you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly according as God hath dealt every measure uh, every man a measure of faith if you want to know I believe Ephesians 1 it's good to understand your identity in Christ and I'm not going to preach a whole message about that today but yes as you look at me today you're looking at just an old sinner that's been saved by the grace of God that's who I am. But at the same time, you're looking at somebody that's worth a whole lot. You know how you determine what, what something's worth? It's usually what somebody's willing to pay for it. And let me, let me tell you something. I ain't much. And I ain't trying to put on airs and hide that today. But i got to tell you something. I'm worth something. You want to know why? Because there's a God in heaven that loved me enough to say, you know what? What's it going to cost to get that boy to heaven? Oh, my only begotten son? Okay, I'll pay that price. I'm worth something. Not because of, you know, not that God looked at me and said, man, I could really use some of that on the earth. You know, that's not it. It's just that he loves me, amen? And so I know I'm loved. And not only that, he loves me, therefore he chose me. He said, man, that one. And I want you to know something today. He looks at you and he says, that one right there. That's the one I'm dying for. That's the one I love. That's the one that, 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 that I have placed. The Bible says that you were covered in your mother's womb. You were fashioned in your mother's womb. The Bible says in God's book all of your members are written. The Bible says He knows all of your thoughts. Psalm 139, you ought to read it. Uh, he, he knows all your thoughts. That's scary, isn't it? How would you like today? I just can't help but think about this. How would you like today for us to say, okay, time out. We're going to start on the right side, move to the left, and we're going to put the thoughts of everybody that's been in church today right here. Let's go. Let's watch them. All right, there's what Richard, there's what Richard was thinking. Well, Richard, I'm offended. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, and, you just, and you just go right on down the line. Um, no, we do not want that. But, but here's the thing. He says he knows our thoughts. But He loves us, amen? And He cares about us. He understands us. And so, uh, but, but, but the, wrong, the thing is, is, is Satan will try to get you thinking wrong about yourself, all right? Uh, that's the point. Because the way you think about yourself is going to affect the way you feel about yourself, and the way you feel about yourself is going to affect what you do, how you live your life. Do you live like a conqueror? Are you able to live with confidence? Hey, there's a lot of people in this world that don't know me. There's some that don't care to know me. There's a lot of people that, that, that don't want me in their presence. But God does. So young people that are still in school, man, you can walk those halls with your head held high, your shoulders back. I mean, just high-stepping, man. Why? Because I've been chosen by God. Man, you talk about the in crowd. I'm in with God, amen? 
So I'm cool. I, I'm all right. And you might not think I'm hip, Blake, but I'm a cool guy, man. Maybe not. Maybe not. But at least I'm accepted by God exactly how I am. Okay. So, so what, what does Satan attack? He wants to attack the way you think about yourself. He wants to attack the way you think about the home. How about this? Husbands. Bible says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents. But what happens when uh, husbands begin to get in their minds the, the, the wrong thoughts about what it, what it means to be a husband? What it means to be a wife? What it means to be a, a child in the home? What happens when you forget your role? You know what happens? The way you start thinking starts affecting the way you feel, the way you feel starts affecting the way you treat people. All of a sudden, you, you're not treat, you don't treat your family right. Husbands not, are not loving their wives the way they ought to. Husbands feel like they have a right to... I mean, listen, I love hanging out with the guys. I really do. But I'm telling you, man, don't none of them look as good as my wife, for one thing. They don't come near as good as... Uh, smelling as good as my wife. I mean, and so, yeah, I love hanging out with the guys. But listen, my woman's my top priority, amen? She is my love. She is my girl. She is my best friend. Um, but, but what can happen is we, we get out of order in what we think about our role in the home. Maybe you just don't think that you can be. And a lot of people just don't know the truth about the home. But I'm telling you, God wants you to have a successful home. But, but Satan's going to attack the way you think about that. Husbands, can you think of that? Dads? Man, I, I can think of things I've done as a, as a parent that I've just been a complete idiot. As a husband, complete idiot. Why? Because my thinking wasn't right. And so what did I do? God's blessed me with the wife. He's blessed me with the family. And he's hey man, and I've been building this family now. 25 years ago, got married and just been building this family. But then, Brad, I'll turn around sometimes and do stuff to start trying to tear the wall down. I'll be unkind. You know, I'll, uh, uh, I'll act like a fool. Anybody ever do something like that? Um, in other words, what I'm doing, when I let that affect my thinking, I'm kind of being a saint in Satan's service. I'm working counter to what God's trying to do in my life. When I don't think right about myself, when I don't think right about the home, when I don't think right about God Almighty. How about this one? When I don't think right about the church. Um, what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 11. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Alright? So here I'm just using this because... We need to forgive people. When you don't forgive people, when you keep unforgiveness, you know, somebody says when you forgive somebody, you set a prisoner free. But then you realize the prisoner is you. All right? So, but I'm coming back to the context. Forgive one another. But then it goes to say this. This is in the, this, listen to the context. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices, his schemes. Man, Paul says a lot about us not being ignorant, but some of us are ignorant. And we are ignorant of his schemes. We ought not be, but one of those schemes is when we aren't forgiving one another. 
giving one another the benefit of the doubt. Man, I tell you what, there's not, a, there's, not a, there's not another church in this world that I would rather belong to and that I would rather pastor than this one right here. And this church would be even better if it wasn't for the preacher. <laughs> and this church, well, here's what I mean to say by that. This church is made up of imperfect people. This church is made up of people that, uh, you know what the Bible says? Hey, forgive one another. The Bible says, be long-suffering one toward another. Why do we need to do those things? Because we're people. We're people. And the thing that we've got to learn to do, to get the right mind, because what you can do, when you start letting Satan get things in your mind about the local church, oh, I'd be better without it, and those people aren't perfect. Uh, <laughs> right? You aren't either. Uh, you know, there's the old thing, if you ever find the perfect church, don't go there for goodness sakes, you'll ruin it. Um, but, uh, but, but the thing is, is that you can get it in your mind. You know, oh wow, preacher done something dumb or forgot something or put something off for a year or two and whatever again. The thing that we've got to do is we've got to... When it comes to people and when it comes to the church, you know what we got to do? We've got to give people the benefit of the doubt. I've said that a bunch of times. But in other words, what Satan will try to get in your mind within the church and otherwise within your family is he'll try to, put, he'll try to make you an expert of people's motives. That's when you get in trouble. See, because we all make mistakes, right? Every last one of us. Every one of us. The problem happens when you make the mistake and this thought comes in my mind. I know why Ryan did that. I bet Ryan did that because... And I make this thing up. I promise you right now, if, you're start, if you get into the, ju the judging mode of business, I promise you, you're reading the letters of the enemy. You're reading the letters of the enemy. Hey, I'm not saying that somebody didn't make a mistake. What I'm saying is, don't judge their motive in it. Don't judge their motive. Give them the benefit of the doubt. So, uh, so, so when it comes to others, when it comes to the church, when it comes to the world around us, um, Jesus said this about the Pharisees. He says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. In other words, the actions of these Pharisees were keeping people from coming to Christ. And if we're not careful... Our actions, because of the, us thinking wrong, can affect the way we feel, that affects what we do, that shuts us off. Man, we need to show love and grace and mercy toward a lost and dying world, don't we? I'm telling you one thing I love about this church, man, this church loves people. Amen? This church loves broken people. And you know what? This church is a good place for broken people to get healing. Is that not right? And uh, you know why? Because if people would just be honest... We're kind of all a bunch of broken people. And you don't have to come in all the time acting like you're not broken and you don't have problems. You can come in and get help and you can come in and get healing. Um, and, 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 and why? Because our attitude ought to be of love to the world. Uh, so, it's important how you think. It's important what you think. It's important that you identify and be very careful who's influencing your thinking, Okay. I'm bringing this down to a close with this. 2 Corinthians 10, familiar verses to some of us, 
But it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's not of the flesh, of, of strength, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations, which is images in your mind, things that you're thinking, and every high thing and thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I've said this many times, but I think one of the greatest gifts that we have is you can only think one thought at a time. That's it. You need to think about the thoughts you're thinking. When you're thinking on something, you need to think, wait, is this right? Is this scriptural? Is this true? That's, wait, that's not true. Why am I thinking about that? Why am I worrying about something that I can do absolutely nothing about? I'm, I'm no, done with that. Learn to control every thought, he says here. See, he talks about strongholds. A stronghold is an area where we're stuck in bondage. Any part of our lives in which Satan imprisons us or imprisons a part of our lives. He does this by causing us to think a certain way, a way based on lies that we've been told. And as long as we believe the lies, we will stay imprisoned by those strongholds. To enjoy freedom, we have to learn to use God's mighty weapons. One of the greatest weapons, here it is, Jesus said this, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's interesting how the, in the parable of the sower, where they're sowing seed and it falls on different ground, he said that the, the, that the birds of the air would come try to snatch the seed before it got down in the ground. And you know what Satan's been doing this whole service? While truth is going out, it's just like seed being sown. And just like a bird trying to come take that seed before it can take root, that's how Satan tries to take the thoughts of the Word of God out of our, and truth out of our minds. Why? Because he wants to keep influencing your thinking. Jesus said you shall know the truth, folks. It's important to get in this book right here. To know this book right here. Because when I'm talking about the truth, I'm not talking about what I'm talking, what I say. I'm saying what thus saith the Lord. This Bible is the truth. Amen. Thy word is truth. Know the truth. And the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. May God help us to learn to resist the devil with truth. When Satan came to Jesus, remember Satan came to Jesus and tempted him? He was trying to influence his thinking. He was even using the Bible. He was using verses. Did you know if you, some of you may not know that. But when Satan was talking to Jesus, he was actually quoting the Bible. Just because somebody's quoting the Bible don't mean they're of God. Satan was quoting the Bible to Jesus, but Jesus spoke the word as it's written correctly, and that's how he resisted Satan. And that's the way we resist Satan today. Uh, let's all stand, please, and we're going to be ready to dismiss the saint in Satan's service. I've got one final thought today. Besides the thought that I've been harping on. Are you doing something? Have you allowed things to get in your mind? That are allowing you to feel a certain way? That are making you behave in a certain way? That's actually counterproductive to what God's trying to build in your life? Have you been reading the letters of Tobiah and believing them? You've been believing the lies? Believe the truth. Paul warns in 2 Corinthians, he says, if our gospel be hid, our gospel, what's the gospel? That's where this really all starts. It's, it's, it's the main thing. 
that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again the third day so that you could have your sins forgiven, not so that some church could get you to heaven. Somebody said being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. You know? No, church doesn't get you to heaven. The gospel, the good news is it's not by your works or anybody else's works. It's what Jesus did on the cross. That's the good news. But the Bible says, though, the gospel is hidden to a lot of people. They don't know the gospel. They they know that Jesus died, rose again, and all that. But they don't understand why. That's the gospel, the good news. They've been taught that, but then they've been lied to that it's the church or baptism or good works that gets you there. If it's hid, the Bible says, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, which speaks of Satan, hath blinded the minds of them uh, that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So my final question, I guess, today would be this. Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Have you personally accepted and experienced the good news of Jesus Christ? What it means to know Him as Savior. See, I was blinded for years on that. Weren't you, Dan? We all were. We thought there were other things and other ways. And I'd say my prayers and I'd do my best. But Jesus gave His best because it's not up to what we do. It's up to what Jesus has already done. And what I encourage you to do today is to receive the gospel. Receive the gift that the gospel promises. And that's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel, the Bible says, it's like a gift that must be received. Have you received it? I sure have, and I'm glad for that. But if you haven't, I encourage you today. While God is shining the light through to your heart, would you right now in this moment, would you bow with me and just maybe from your heart pray and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. Dear Lord, I admit to you today that I am a sinner. I have sinned. And I realize now, God, that it is only through what you did on the cross that I can be forgiven and be put right in your sight. Lord Jesus, I accept this wonderful gospel. I accept you as my Savior. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you saved? If not, don't let the sun go down before you're sure that you know Him today. Child of God, honestly, I ask you the question, do you ever work against yourself? I'd be, I think the question would be better is how many of us don't work against ourselves. We all do. Subtly, we're counterproductive sometimes when it comes to what God's trying to do in our lives. But I'm glad He's not done with us. Amen. He's patient and He's helped, helping us. Get in the Word. Know the Word. Examine your thoughts today. Amen. All right, Dan, would you please dismiss us in a word of prayer? Oh, and uh, if you would, uh, if there's any members that would like to stay, we're just